Welcome back to the Constant Quest podcast with Teen and Taylor. We, uh, well, we missed a week. It was actually finals week for those of us that are in college. I had some long papers to write and a couple of exams. So we took last week off and pushed it back a week, um, which sort of worked well for everybody. We were able to line up our next guest that we'll introduce in just a few minutes. So uh, really excited to have him on here to talk further about personal growth, but also sort of get into more collective growth and societal growth maybe, and how we can impact our youth. Um, so really excited about the guest we got today, somebody that I've known for a long time. So, um, but before we do that, uh, Taylor, how's it going today? Everything good? Yeah, you, you made me think, and I know I mentioned this to you, you were talking about finishing up your your finals for your, your courses and stuff. It's, it's interesting as you get into your career, you know, you don't really get that feeling anymore of like, when you're in school, you know, you finish up a semester, it feels good, you've completed some classes, you're a little more educated in that specific area, and then you're kind of starting something new. Uh, I was a little bit envious of that feeling, to be honest. I feel like we all can kind of jump into our careers and it's just ongoing, right? With the exception of some other breaks, like around Christmas and stuff. So I know it's got to be a good feeling and congrats on finishing your first year. I know you're excited about all the courses and stuff, but um, yeah, man, personally for me, I guess just... Uh, Moving right along with this fence business that I'm starting here and going to turn on some marketing in a week and a half. I'm a little scared, but uh, it feels right and still kind of within that, like, within that growth zone, right, where I'm not uh, overwhelmed, but still feel like I'm pushing myself out of my comfort zone. But um, yeah, that's what's going on. That's awesome. Yeah, the the school part feels good today because I'm done with it. Last week, it, it I don't know if you would have been envious of me last week because it was pretty hectic with papers and tests and waiting on grades but they're not in yet but i think that i can say i made straight a's for the entire first year or both of the first two semesters so that's not something i could have ever said previously i think i made the dean's list my very last semester in undergrad i took four classes and at least made a's and b's in them so this is sort of new territory for me as well right now so yeah but it's cool it's crazy when you know when you go back afterwards i mean it's been 15 plus years for me and yeah it's just very different when you're actually interested and you want to learn and you know, my program is so cool i texted both of y'all earlier today just that man i've been sitting in these classes and i'm just so engaged with everything that we're talking about and i'm like oh man they're applicable to our conversation today which is one of the reasons i love this podcast because i'm getting to sort of pull from both ends i pull from my professional experience and then obviously the school and get to talk to people like y'all about it. But yeah, I guess we'll go ahead and, and sort of jump into it with our guest. Our guest today is Kurt Wheeler. I guess he's Kurt now for a while. He was Curtis and I've known him by a couple of other names over the years. Uh, we went to the same high school from the same hometown. We're, we're not the same age. He's got a couple years on me, but went to the same college for a bit of time as well at USC Aiken in Aiken, South Carolina. And Kurt's always been involved in the sports world and with youth. He's had some background in education, and now he's with an organization called Upward Sports. Um, but I guess, first of all, just Kurt, welcome. And how's it going, man? Well, appreciate you guys having me, Teen and Taylor. And I know we talked about this a little bit. I watched a few episodes, but everything's going well. Just we slowed down from travel basketball for about two weeks, and then we'll pick things back up. So I get a little bit of downtime, but... 
you know, as an adult, you never had downtime, right? Yeah, there's something something else that you've probably been needing to work on or do. That's how I always feel. It's like, oh, now I can do a passion project or something different when I get a, a break. It doesn't turn out to really be a break. But uh, yeah, man, welcome. So glad you're on here. Obviously, you're my boy. I've known you for a long time and I've been really excited about this. When I think about you, I've always thought of the word wise or wisdom. So I'm really glad that you're going to impart some of that wisdom on us today. Maybe first, just give us a little bit of a background, kind of a brief background and history on you that runs into sort of what you do now and what your role is within Upward. All right. Well, I just started as a youth. You know, I was an Army brat who was in the sports, playing sports. My dad coached me. And then we moved different places. And then we settled back in the hometown, North Augusta, and just played sports with, you know, it's a sports town. It's a youth sports town. Parts and Rec is great. Everybody started having these AAU teams, YBOA teams back then. And so myself and Sean Mims, you know, he kind of spearheaded the team. We had the junior jackets and we started coaching just some young teenagers who were just four or five years younger than us. We started coaching them and he went out to school and I kind of just kept it going. And uh, we had a high school coach change. Coach Arrington came in to replace Coach Mackey and I was coaching this group. And like, I just asked him like, hey, you mind if I keep coaching these kids, anything you want me to do? And he was like, nope, just have them play man to man. And then we kind of built a relationship and became really good friends and I helped him coach. And he went on to another school. And then I, that's when I really transitioned to like real travel basketball because we always had kids who played on some of the travel teams, top sports, local Peace Jam select team, Palmetto Hoopsters, South Carolina Ravens. And then we would still have our local teams for our kids to just keep playing. And the rec always, uh, that's Riverview Park for people, we call it a rec. You know, they always hosted a lot of different events. So our kids got to play right there. We go up to Columbia Lexington and play or whatever. So, you know, once Coach Aaron had moved on, I kind of, got more in the travel side with some teams and started doing that and had, you know, had some success there with different programs. And then we did our own little team again. And then uh, Coach Ryan, Thomas Ryan, went to college with him, had a class. He was a little bit older than me at Lexington, our rival high school. He was coaching at Norman and he was like doing a tournament, the Upward Classic. And I remember you see these Upward bumper stickers or magnets, what's on cars and I never knew what it was. We always associated with Upward Bound and I found out it was like a church rec league. So it's like, all right, cool. He was like, well, they want to do this tournament. Can you help me get teams? So we did that. And then eventually it was like, they may want to do AAU travel ball. So I was like, all right, cool. Just let me know. And then at that time I was helping with Jermaine O'Neal's team, J7 No. And I was like, out. I was like, I'm done with travel ball. I'm, I'm just going to do whatever I'm doing. And then Thomas calls me out in the blue. I was like, yeah, they really want to do this. AAU thing, are you still willing to help? So started that in 2012, and now we're in 2023, 20, and we're still going from not being sponsored to doing a little sponsorship with Reebok, now Adidas. So it's been good. We've you know, been able to coach three McDonald's All-Americans, two prior to Upward, and now two with Upward Stars. And um, so Upward Stars is a is an extension of Upward Sports. And what Upward Sports does is they want to introduce you to a sport and to Christ through sports. So, and that's what we continue to do with our program. So I taught school, went to college at USA. Again, team mentioned that, you know, we got a lot of things in common. Hometown, Tar Heels, we used to have Afros. Now we got beards. <laughs> we, love, we love music. We love people. We love kids. We love helping people. 
you know, I was helping coach at North Augusta and I wanted to go to school to be an attorney. I love Law and Order, the original. Never, I never watched an episode of SUV. Is it SUV? SVU. SVU, yeah. Only the original. So I wanted to be Jack McCoy. He was my guy. And then once I got finished four years, I'm like, well, I'm done with school. I can't do this. Like, and then Coach Aaron was like, oh, you should coach. You'd be a good coach. I'm going to get you a job teaching. So Al Young, Jackie Young, actually, helped me get a job at Glen Hills High in Augusta. So I taught there for a few years, social studies, got a master's in instructional technology. Stay in school, kids. It does pay. If you get it, you will get a pay raise. So, But that's how I kind of just always been involved, you know, so I was teaching and coaching at Glen Hills and also coaching at North Augusta in the same year. I was getting pulled different places, but it was cool, cool experience. Uh, enjoyed my time teaching, but it wasn't for me. Uh, there is a picture that exists out there of me and you at USC Aiken with both of our Afros at their at their height, I think. I wish I could get my hands on that picture, man. It's uh, it was pretty oh. impressive. We couldn't have both walked through a doorway at the same time, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, we gotta, we gotta find that. We definitely we need to find that. And another thing, whenever I hear you introduce yourself, I've heard you on other podcasts and different stuff before. You always mention that you're from North Augusta first, and I love that because I'm from North Augusta. It sort of makes me think of Andre 3000 when he was at the award ceremony a bunch of years ago, and he was like, "The South got something to say." I always think that that's kind of year like North Augusta has something to say, man. It's such a great place to be from. But we we did have a, a great upbringing and such a cool childhood with a bunch of really awesome people that that do have a story to tell. And we had a great sports community that really focused on the kids. I think uh, the older you get, the more you, you learn about some of the behind the scenes stuff maybe that goes on. But as a kid, it was such an amazing place right. to go and be a kid and grow in a good a good rich environment. No, I tell people all the time. It's you want a nice, safe place to raise kids? North Augusta is it. I know some people who didn't have the same experience we did, and I understand why they feel the way they feel, but that's not my experience. So, Well, you were talking about um, kind of getting into coaching. I was making sure I got the timeline right. Was the t from the time you graduated high school? Pretty much, yeah. Nine, probably like 1999. I graduated in 98, so probably 99 we coached, and I've been coaching since. So you did coach like right after you graduated yeah. high school or something? Yep. I, I, that kind of struck stuck out to me, you know, because I think that as human beings, sometimes we all want to like have everything perfectly lined up. And it's like, I got to know all this and I have to have these certifications, no matter what it's going to be. Right. If you're going to be a coach, it's like, well, gosh, who am I to coach? I just graduated high school. You're 19 years old. You're coaching kids who are just barely younger than you. And to me, what stuck out was like, just take the first step. Like sometimes you got to take the first step and then figure it out, not try to figure every single thing out and be the best coach in the world before you start to apply your skills. So that was just one thing that stuck out to me. And I think we can all do a better job of is like, there's certainly a preparation process and certain things that we want to do and not just applying that to coaching. But I think just that ability to take that first leap, I think when you do that, you just accelerate that process. It's like you could have waited until you were 25 and said, all right, now I feel like I'm good enough, but to jump right into it and be coaching kids that are only a couple years younger than you, I think, yeah, if you wait until it's the right time or perfect or I'm ready, you're never ready. Right. You know, were you ready for this podcast? No, you did it. So act and then fill in the details as you go. I didn't have that mindset then. I was just acting, you know, but now I would say, yeah, go do it and then figure it out on the way because everybody will try to tell you how to do this, how to do life, right? But life is a single player game. What worked for your parents or your brother or your cousin or your friend 
may or may not work for you. You can take advice. You can get wisdom from others. That's how that's what wisdom is learning from others. But like you still have to go play the game. Yeah. You can only play the game how you play the game. What you just touched on, too, I think we can get into this mindset of thinking, well, I've got to know all this stuff before I start. And I don't think that that's true. It's the, it's the wrong mindset. I was watching the draft the other day and Frank Reich is the new head coach for the Panthers, right? I don't know how old the guy is, but he's been a head coach and a coordinator. And he had mentioned and it stuck out to me. He's like, I'm really excited to come in and continue to learn. And it's like, oh, man, if this guy's the head coach of the Panthers, right? We sometimes expect people to be like, learn. You already know it all, right? It's like, well, no, this guy still has stuff to learn. So I think if you're waiting to know everything about your profession or like until you're going to make that leap, you're going to end up dying, right? Because even the best of the best, I'm sure they'll tell you, it's probably one of the traits that gets them to where they're at. It's just the continual learning process. Yeah, you learn all the stuff just to realize you don't know anything, right? So you learn, unlearn to relearn. You work for, I remember working in my, in my company when I was in my mid twenties and I certainly knew I didn't know anything, but like, I didn't know what I didn't know. And then, yeah, exactly. Like you said, the more I learned, the more I realized exactly how to identify the things that I didn't quite know yet. And that was still growth. I mean, it seemed overwhelming at the time when you're in the middle of it, it's like, man, I've learned a lot and I've learned how much more I don't know than I thought. Um, but anyway, then you start being able to chip away at those things. And I, I think I agree with that too, team. The other thing that just popped in my head and we were kind of alluding to it was just, and I actually thought about it right now on a podcast. <laughs> Cause if this was like a year ago and we were doing a podcast, I would have been like nervous, right? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm on camera and we're talking and don't even know Kurt and where's this going to go. For me, it's like a little bit of a lesson in whatever you're doing, whether it's a podcast or coaching or some other career that you're going into, like that discomfort that you feel it'll lessen over time, even though there's still a continual learning process. Like I'm so much more comfortable right now for me. I'll, let's just say it's like the podcast, right? I'm sure you could speak to the same thing, Kurt, as a coach, like you're still learning, but you're getting comfortable with that discomfort, right? It's like, I've never coached kids these age, or I've never dealt with the situation, or I'm sure I always constantly evolving and like your knowledge of the game, but that discomfort just lessens over time and you get more comfortable to your point teen i feel like in knowing that you don't know everything it's like oh this is all right i don't have to know everything and so it's just so empowering too i feel like once you take that first step and you continually go into that area that you thought was so uncomfortable and crippling that like you realize it's like oh that wasn't that scary it's not that scary to coach it's not that scary to start a podcast but it is if you don't start it Kurt, you touched on that uh, actually before we hit record. You said that you had an experience in a game the other night that wasn't going so well, but you, you did still uh, manage to get a technical, you said, but you handled it a little bit differently than you did maybe some of the times in the past. Yeah, I wish I would have acted like Jerry Stackhouse instead. If I was going to get a tech, I should have, you know, went all in. That's right. <laughs> so I mentioned earlier that or I think I don't know if I mentioned it on on here yet since we hit record, but I know I texted y'all too earlier that I just uh, finished a couple classes that I've, I think I did mention it that I felt like were relevant here. Uh, one of the classes I just finished was a human growth and development class. And one of the other classes that I finished was a class specifically on culture. What does culture mean? How do we define it? And things like that. So those two together were really interesting and I think they're applicable. And it made me think about you, Kurt, which is why I'm glad we're on here right now that I've sort of finished hopefully learning and retaining some of the knowledge on there. Um, but specifically about human growth and development, about what's important in 
and kids development through all the stages of life. And then specifically with what you do, I think, and, and you can speak to this a little more, but how AAU basketball or the recruiting process through that has changed over time. And I guess really what I'm saying is how critical individuals like you are that become a mentor and, and maybe even in some ways a father figure to some of the kids that are coming in your program at a very, very critical time of their personal and human development, cognitive development, behavioral development, emotional development. They, they're starting to learn about how to act in the social, social settings within, you know, within the construct of basketball. Uh, but maybe just speak a little bit to how, I guess maybe that in your mind has evolved over the years to the way it is now and how critical of a role you play and, and sort of how maybe those conversations go with families as you recruit kids to come into your program. I just asked like six questions. So, so what I would say is how we recruit and things that we say, we're big on, we're providing an opportunity. We don't have any promises. We don't have any guarantees. We have an opportunity for you to come learn, for you to come grow where you get coached, where you be held accountable, where you meet new friends, where you to travel, different things like that. It's all about the experience with us. We, we can't promise you the outcome, right? So again, another life thing. That's life. You're going to win games. You're going to lose games. You're going to make shots. You're going to miss shots. That's part of the deal. But you have to focus on the experience, on the person, on the family. So what I tell parents the kids are the heroes. You know, and this is from StoryBrand, so this is an original, if you're not familiar with Story StoryBrand. But like, the kids are the heroes. So in StoryBrand, the small business is the hero. And in every movie, any really good movie, there's a hero, a star of the movie, and then there's a guide or two or three. So let's take Karate Kid. Who's the hero in the movie? Daniel, right? Well, who's the guy? Mr. Miyagi. In Star Wars, there's Luke, and then you got Obi-Wan, Yoda, you can name two or three, other, you know, one, maybe one or two more that are the guys. So how I approach this basketball thing and coaching is like the kids are the heroes. And as a coach, I'm a guide. As a parent, they're guides. As a high school coach or a trainer. Uh, now, here's one thing that's changed. All the kids have trainers now, too. That's a whole different thing. But all of us are guides and all of us have to play our role. I can't be mom. I can't be dad. I can't be brother. I can be Kurt, the AAU coach. I can't be the high school coach. So we all have a role as guides to help guide the hero, the player, to be better. Just focus on getting better every day. Don't focus on the outcome. You can't control the outcome, but you can control how you prepare, how you work, how you play, you know, how you play, your attitude, your approach mainly are the two things you can control. Anything that happens to me, I try to take the good out of it. Try to, not always easy, right? But, and that's what I try to instill in kids, just in life, oh, that didn't work out for you? Okay, tell me the good in that. What's one good thing from that? So that's, that's, that's how I would say, that's how we talk to kids and parents and coaches about why their kids should play with us, because it's about the overall experience you know, for the kid and the family as well. But like, don't get caught up. And another thing is like, I think what's different now, social media. I like social media. I think kids should be able to do whatever they want to do on there. I limit what I do on there. But, you know, social media has invited children to adult things, right? So I think being able to try to educate kids on how to use social media in a positive way 
um, because now the filter for kids is much different than we were kids. Like you remember on the radio, artists used to have to make a radio edit for a song. Now they just blurp out the words and the kids already know the word anyway. Like they used to have to make a whole different song that, you know, wouldn't even dare like come close to cussing. Now they just, they're open to a new world. They're open to so much more adult stuff. And I would even say social media has adults acting like kids too. So it works both ways, you know? But we try to educate you on how to empower social media to help build your brand, you know? People are watching you. That's your resume now. Even though you still have a paper one, if they even know what that is, some of them don't. They learned it in school. But like social media, they go look at your social media. What's your name on social media? What'd you post? What'd you say about this? So we give like these 10, 10 rules to be successful, you know, that we adopted from a guy that's in basketball that's pretty good every year. And um, the last one on there is like, would you post it if mom saw it or something like that? Would you do it if mom saw it? And now I don't know how good or bad that is because some people, you know, I don't know what they do at home. But that's another thing. We're dealing with social media. And where I was going with that is the saying comparison is the thief of joy, right? So on social media, a lot of times we compare, oh, team's doing this, Taylor's doing this. I didn't go to Europe. I didn't go to Honduras or Brazil or whatever. I'm just in Spartanburg or North Augusta or Columbia, wherever. And so I need to be doing that. Do you? No, what works for them may not work for you. As long as you are content and happy, and, you know, being a productive citizen, that's what matters, not what somebody else is doing, keeping up with the Joneses. So that's one thing with social media. And that's not social media's fault. There's a lot of negative stuff that we can get into, but that's a different different thing. But I think what people, kids do, they compare. So in my world, oh, this kid got this offer from South Carolina or Clemson or wherever. He's not that good, or I should have that offer. And so what's important for kids are heroes are the guides. So when you see that offer for Johnny and not your kid, what are you saying about it? Because what's most important is the inner circle for the kid and what they're communicating. So, like, if I recruited your sons or nephews or somebody you're close to, I need to make sure I'm communicating with you and knowing what you're putting into the kid because you're who he's or she's listening to, right? So like what's most important is making sure that guides in the circle are on the same page of instilling the right wisdom, you know, the right words. And, you know, even if we don't agree on everything as the circle, at least, all right, this is an adult conversation. We're not going to take that to the kid, you know, or this is what we will talk to the kid about and won't talk to the kid about because one thing that I try not to do, is, especially like if a kid's not happy about playing time or whatever with their coach in college or high school, I may agree with them 1,000% what they're saying. And I'll acknowledge, like, okay, I understand what you're saying. But I turn it back to an accountability thing. How are you doing? Are you doing what you're supposed to do to get more time? Have you had a conversation with the coach yet? Do you need an adult to have a conversation with you about whatever you're going through? But a lot of times... If we feed into that and be like, yeah, coach doesn't know what he's doing or whatever, then the kid, that seed gets planted and it grows. We water that. So I just choose not to water any negative thoughts with the kids. Let's keep it positive. Let's take the good. Now, then I may go back and have a conversation with their coach and say, hey, what's going on here? Boom, boom, boom. And go from there. 
which makes your role increasingly critical in my mind. Like you said, you don't know what's going on at home, but whether it's a good situation or a bad situation, they're, they're being influenced at their home. They're being influenced at school. They're being influenced with their friends. And then you're just trying to fight for, fight for a slice of that pie as well to, to grab their attention and be a positive influence, which I know you're a positive influence, but they're hearing all this stuff from everywhere, you know, and so it's it, it's more critical in my mind for for mentors, if I may call it, or coaches or teachers, you know, people in, in your position and your organization to kind of help broaden their scope a little bit, too, and say, all right, life's a little bit bigger than North Augusta High School or, you know, whatever the high school may be. You're getting ready to be faced with all kinds of other stuff and people are going to be coming at you with a lot of different stuff. You got to be ready. I mean, now at 14, 15 years old, whereas for us, I feel like it was maybe at least 17 or 18, 19 years old. But now it's like at 14, 15, you got to be ready to be hit with all this stuff. And you're not even fully developed cognitively yet to really be able to do it. And so, I mean, I commend you and your organization because it, it becomes so critical that they have influences or guides, as you call it. I love that analogy. And I know Taylor has something on the comparison game because he he's actually used that quote before on this podcast. If I was a believer in coincidence, which I'm not anymore, think things happen for a reason. You guys know Inky Johnson, not to take this down another yep. way. Inky Johnson, for those you guys both know him, but for those who might not know on the podcast, is a has an incredible story. You should Google him. Just an amazing, inspirational speaker. And so I signed up for Inky Johnson's like weekly little pick me up kind of text or whatever. You know what it was this morning? Comparison is the thief of joy. So if I was a believer in coincidences, I would say what a coincidence, but I'm not so much a believer in coincidence. I think things happen for a reason. Uh, but anyway, kind of taking it back to the point you were just making team and something that you touched on, uh, Kurt was, and I guess this is more a question, you know, if I heard you right, talking about the guide piece, and I do love that analogy, you're, you're trying to prepare kids for life, right? And, um, I think that we, we talked about this briefly before we got on. Sports is a great uh, way to prepare people for life. I just feel like there's a lot of um, similar circumstances that you're going to go through within a game or a season or however long your career is uh, that follow very similar to what we go through in life. So my question is more around you're taking kids who are, you know, these aren't kids who are starting on the JV team. You're looking at kids who have college professional aspirations is it hard as you're trying to recruit them to come into your system for both the kids and maybe to a lesser degree, the parents to really get that message across, right? Because if I'm a high school sophomore and you're out there recruiting me, you know, I'm probably going to listen to all the stuff you're saying about, you know, the things you can teach me in life. But if I'm 16 years old, man, my main focus is basketball, right? This is going to get me to where I can go. And for some of that, those kids, this is legitimate. This isn't just the kid who's probably going to fizzle out, like they can legitimately make a career out of this. So I guess my question is, is it hard for you to relay that message to the kids and maybe to a bit to a lesser extent, the parents that like, hey, you know, I'm going to do my best to prepare this kid for basketball. Ultimately, I want him to be a good father, citizen, you know, son, uh, just a good human in society. Is it hard to get that message across and to make that the priority rather than Hey, get me to the pros so I can make money playing hoops. Uh, we actually get complimented on being about more than just basketball. We attract some people, more people, because we don't just focus on the basketball. So parents appreciate that. Because I tell people all the time, 
parents want to be good parents, right? They're doing the best they can do in that moment. So whatever it is, you know, and we've been fortunate enough to have a lot of good players and a lot of good parents. We can't do what, what we do without the parents. So they appreciate the fact that we talk about other things other than like, oh, how did we play? Did we win? Did we lose? Did you make shots? Did you, make, you know, one thing we try to do is touch base with the kids throughout the week, at least once. Hey, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? You know, we'll still bring up basketball sometimes, but it's just another touch point, right? Instead of just like, oh, coach only cares about the game, you know? Like, he only talks to me on the weekends. How can I coach you? How can I pour into your life if I only talk to you when I'm trying to coach you? How can I get the best out of you if I don't know who you are, what makes you tick, what you like, what you don't like? Because every once in a while, I may need to be able to crack a joke with you, you know? Or if I know you like Skittles, I'll buy you a bag of Skittles just, just because. Personal things like that are what matters to me. And that's how I try to recruit coaches that understand that. That's like, you may be the best basketball coach. Let's use Phil Jackson. I never hear anybody talk about Phil Jackson being this great basketball mind. But what do they always talk about? How he connected, how he got Michael Jordan to do this with Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, or how Kobe and Shaq coexisted. It was never about, oh, he called a great play or he got this player better. It was about the mental approach and being together and being at peace, being the best version of yourself and how that fits into the team. So I kind of take a similar approach. You know, I'm not Zen. I don't know much about Zen, but but that's our approach is just like get to know the person because if you can get to know the person, you can coach the player better. And at the end of the day, we still do coach basketball. These kids have goals, you know, individual goals on a team sport. So you still have to get to know the individual to get them to be the best that they can be for themselves and for the team. And one thing that we try to encourage parents and our coaches, like prepare the kid for the path, not the path for the kid. Think about parents. Like my mom to this day, she'll she'll do whatever I want her to do. And you know, when I go home, I take advantage of it. I get breakfast, I get whatever. But then you're like, oh, you know, back up too. I'm a grown up. But like parents just want to do what's that's for you. So if they can do it for you, they're going to do it for you. But parents have to prepare the kids for the path. And I think they prepared me well for the path. And I think it's a mixture of both. You got to, if you can prepare the path, yeah, why not help out? But also you got to make sure the kids are ready to deal with whatever's coming, how to deal with adversity, how to deal with success, how to help others, you know, how to let others help them. And my biggest point to kids are just like being consistent. Being consistent, being consistent with your attitude, with your effort, with your approach, because you can't control. I said it before. I'll keep saying it, you can't control the outcome. The other day, we couldn't control what the referee did, but we could control. Did we get back on defense? Did we play together? You know, did we make an extra pass? Did we box out? You know, we can control those things. We couldn't control anything outside of that. So but if we're consistent with our effort, our attitude and our approach, good things happen for you. I love the Phil Jackson association there. I mean, as myself, as a future counselor, I'm getting my master's in counseling. And I also like to bring in some of the Eastern ideologies of mindfulness and meditation and some of those sort of things that Phil was sort of known for. Um, so I love hearing that because I always do think any any team that you're on, that, that the cohesion comes from those sort of traits. Um, and then the skill, obviously, 
is important, but to me it's secondary because if you don't have all the units working together, uh, then the rest of it kind of falls apart sometimes, um, which makes me, you know, you were just talking about the team aspect and, but also how the kids have individual goals within that. And, and I think maybe that's shifted some over the time since uh, we were in high school and college, as far as AAU specifically, you know, you get these kids and you want to make them a better human being and their parents love that about your organization and you become an advocate for the kid, but the kid still wants to go to the next level. Number one on his mind a lot of times is I'm coming to play with Kurt as a stepping stone. I mean, not in an offensive way, but the next step, Kurt is going to prepare me to then go get a D1 offer from somebody. And so when you have these kids playing on a team, you know, it's, it, I think that's a microcosm again of, of life. I mean, we're in this influencer society where it's like, okay, the collective good is one thing, but like, I got to make sure I get mine first. And and I don't know that that's always the best thing, but how do you balance that? Because you want to advocate for the kid to chase his dream and get what he wants individually, but also you're playing a team sport, like is, is winning collectively still as important as it used to be? And how, how do you balance all that as a coach and mentor? We're honest with that. We, we, from the beginning, we say, hey, basketball, especially travel basketball, is an individual team sport. Like, we acknowledge that. I'm not going to try to, like, trick you into, like, it's not. It is. So, but if you play for the team, I guarantee you, you'll get what you want individually. And what I do is I send some questions out to every team each year, like, based on, like, their expectations for the year. Like, how much time do you think you should play? How many points do you want to average? Or what are your goals? Just so open-ended, you know, why do you want to be on this team? Different things like that. And I get the answers, and then I'll sit on it for about two weeks, and then I individually I'll have the conversations with the kids. I don't do it as a group. I do that individually and say, hey, you said this. Now, why do you feel that way? Or And then I'll tell them, like, look, you're not scoring 20 points a game. Like, that's not going to happen. You might score 20 points in three games, but you're not going to average 20 points or you're not going to play 25 minutes. So having that honest dialogue and building that relationship with them away from the court allows you to be honest. I think a lot of times when people say we're going to prepare kids for life, we think you got to be a jerk to them. You got to dog cuss them out. and just, No, you don't. You just got to be honest, honest and fair. When they're wrong, tell them they're wrong and we move on from it. People say, oh, yeah, you got to cuss them out and do all of this and that, right? So you tell me, you guys have been living life a while. How many jobs have you had where your ball could just cuss you out and you not do anything about it? I can only think of the Army, the, or the military, not just Army, the military, and if you're in prison or something. And even then, like, you probably can't do that in there. It's changing still. So, like, how do – is that how we're going to that's, – that's preparing kids for life? No. Tough love means being firm and fair. So when, as a coach, going back to this, I'll say this and I'll go back. You treat everybody the same, but you don't coach everybody the same. So like if curfew's at 1130, it's 1130 for everybody. Not just Taylor. Team, you got to be there too. But on the court, team may get to take five more shots than Taylor because in my opinion, he's a better shooter or player. But that doesn't mean like I still won't fight for you the same. There's just individual differences. Don't be mad at me. Be mad at God. He he did that. So just being honest, being fair, and caring more about the person compared to the player. And a reminder to the kids is just like, 
Nobody cares how you feel. You need to make choices over your feelings. I got home last night at 11 o'clock after a trip to Texas. Did I feel like getting up to go to work at 7.30? Maybe, maybe not. Let's just say no. But guess what? I had to make a choice, right? I got bills to pay. I got to go to work. I got stuff to do. So you're not going to always feel like going to work, going to, I bet you didn't feel like doing those papers, <laughs> but you did them because you had your choices had to be greater than your feelings. So that's just another lesson that we try to say, you know, be consistent and make choices outside of your emotions, because when you're emotional and you're in your feelings, you're probably not going to make the right choice. So think long-term, think about tomorrow, you know, if I do this today, how does it affect tomorrow? That's right. And, and I mean, I love the whole managing the expectations thing. I mean, how how poor are a lot of us at that anyway? You know, we go in thinking whatever we've built up in our head and then we get disappointed. Well, the event didn't disappoint us. What we expected to get out of it, which probably or maybe wasn't realistic from the get go, is what disappointed us. And then really we're mad at the event. We act like we're mad at the event, but really we're mad at ourselves for allowing ourselves to to have sort of a skewed realization of what what the expectation should have been and so i love that you sit sit everybody down first i mean I, you hear that commonly in in college it's like look this is where we are are you unhappy that you didn't play well you've been late to every practice and you don't get the shots up or whatever the case is or i mean possibly like you said maybe it's nobody's fault but here's the deal you don't make as many shots at a high at the same percentage as the next guy or whatever but it's still important to realize that and so you can manage your own expectations for the next season or know what you need to work on or whatever we could all take that lesson I mean, it seems very simple but every single one of us could take that into our daily life for sure and say man okay what did i expect and was that realistic or not and and who's really to blame is it the event or is it back on me I, I love all that. And I would say in addition to that, one of the things that we've talked about, and I, I, I can say as human beings, you guys have probably experienced this in your life, because I think we all do is, you know, where we think we want to go, we can be like so focused on that. And instead of kind of focusing on the destination and having this expectation that I want to get here, it's like, what are kind of the core principles that I have? Or like, how do I, how do I want to operate? Like, what are my values? Right? Because those are going to lead you to a great destination, but it might be different than that, right? So I'm thinking about you, Kurt, right? Maybe a guy who's coming off the bench, right? If he goes to, you know, in his high school, he's probably the one of the best players on the team, but maybe on your all-star kind of travel team, he's, he's the seventh best player or whatever, right? And of course, he wants to go to Carolina too, probably like most of the guys, but how many guys are going to go to Carolina, right? What are they giving out a max of four or five scholarships a year, if that? Um, and so I just think about like having that concrete destination can be to the detriment sometimes rather than having like the principles and the values with which you operate. Um, and I mean, I guess the thing that like came to my mind was like, I, I think about a situation like Steph Curry, right? He's one of the, the greatest shooter of all time, you know, whatever, at least a top 20 player ever in the history of the game. And he goes to Davidson, right? He's this tiny scrawny kid. I've heard the story about how he had like, redo his shot because he was so small and he was kind of throwing it up and had bad form. And it's like, what if this guy went to North Carolina or Duke immediately? He might not have even gotten play in time. He may have not even turned into the Stephen Curry that we know today. And so I give that example as saying, you know, this guy who might be like coming off the bench for your team, maybe it is the best option for him to go to Wofford and start and grow and develop rather than, hey, I got a scholarship to Carolina, but like, you're not getting any play in time and your game's going to suffer because of that. 
So I think that sometimes when we get so focused on the destination and we think we know what we want, we think we know what's best. It's like that may not actually be the best thing for you. If you can wake up every day and continue to just do your best and be motivated and do your best in practice, I do truly feel like as human beings, it will work out for you, but it might not be that path that you had in your mind. Because would you rather be the guy that if his goal is to like make it to the NBA, there's plenty of guys that went to smaller schools. There's also plenty of guys that went to bigger schools and didn't play at all and sat there for four years and never got their opportunity. And they may have even been good enough. But if you can't showcase it, nobody's going to see you and you're not going to get picked. And so anyway, you guys just made me think of that. But sometimes we can be super focused on this destination, but there are different paths to get there. I think you got to like stick to your principles, to your character and continue kind of show up every day and do the right things. And it'll lead you to a really good spot. Maybe sometimes where you even wanted to go, maybe even to sometimes it's somewhere better but that path is going to look very different most of the time than what we envision. So it's interesting. You talk about character because we do a thing every week with our team called character lessons. Sometimes it's more of a devotional, but it's really about like being a good person. We tell the kids you're talented. That's going to get you to the room, but can you stay in the room? And the way you'll stay in the room is by your character, not by your talent. You know, there are different quotes for that. John wouldn't have one different people, but you bring up character. And I think, you know, in the Godfather part two, Hyman Roth says to Michael, like, you know, there's nothing more important in life than good health, you know? And I would say good health is maybe trumped by character, good character, because if you got good character, I mean, no, who can speak bad on you? When you're, if you're, we're talking about basketball, so if you're trying to get drafted, I think Nick Saban had a thing, you want to be a and player, not a butt player. like. He's a good player and he's a good person. Not he's a good player, but so it's it's important to have good character, you know. And in the Bible, it talks about a good name is more precious than silver and gold in Proverbs. And that crosses over to the corporate world as well. I mean, I'm in sales. You know, when I was young, it was like, oh, you can just go in there and wheel and deal, and as long as you can talk this certain way and say these things, almost like you're conning somebody into buying something. But if you want longevity, in that industry, just like anything else, your your warts are going to show over time. I mean, it, people are going to know if you have the right intentions and the right character or not. There's a, a book, it's more of a parable, but it's a book called The Go-Giver, and it's meant for salesmen in, in the corporate world, but it's applicable to everybody. But it's a, basically a young salesman trying to figure out how to do it, and he just wants to go. It's like, oh, me, 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 I want to be the best salesman, like pound my chest kind of thing. And the whole the whole parable is basically about, you know, the more that you give and the more that you enrich everyone else's lives, then the rest will take care of itself. It's going to come back on you. I mean, kind of like what you said, and that's what made me think about it earlier, Kurt, when you said that, yeah, they're individuals and they have individual goals. But I guarantee you, if you play within the organization of the team first, that you're going to shine more as an individual um, based on your selflessness. For what I do on the court, the perception of what the kids think they need to do or want to do compared to what they need to do to get to that division one scholarship or whatever are two different things. So you got to get them to understand that. And some, they get it sooner than others. Tina, I don't know if you have, I know you had kind of a list of stuff and I know we typically touch on it organically. So you can kind of rein it back in, but, and I, cause I don't want to take it in a different direction, but I know something that Kurt, both Tina and I are, are passionate about. I kind of briefly mentioned to you that, 
actually before we even knew each other, kind of figured out that we, we both did the big brother, big sister program for a long time. And so mentorship was always something that we were passionate about. Uh, I know teens done some coaching. I've done like some volunteer coaching as well. I think primarily because, you know, we both grew up playing sports, all three of us. And I just realized how much coaches had like an impact in my life, particularly in that level of like the high school years, right? I think about like when you really develop, and I think every year we're developing as a human being, even right now, right? Those really formative years, you go in and you're 14 years old, like you are young, you know, and you come out and you're 18, still young, but you're almost a young adult at that point. Like that is a big chunk of four years. I can't think of another four-year gap in my life when like your values and things like that, your character really gets cemented. I mean, hopefully we're always developing, but I can't think of another four-year period that was like that big of a leap. And so my question is, and I'm going to push this a little bit because it's something I think that Tina and I are both passionate about, and I don't know you as well, but I would imagine you feel similarly. I'm curious as to like the backgrounds of the kids that you coach from a socioeconomic standpoint, from a racial standpoint, because something that I know is like really close to Tina and I, and we were talking about it briefly before we got on here. And I don't, there'll be a question somewhere in here, but I'm going to ramble a little bit. Uh, I kind of feel like at times kids who are come from a more socioeconomic advanced background typically get more of those resources. And so we had talked before this about it's this concept of the, I think it's called accumulated advantage. It was in the Malcolm Gladwell book, Outliers. Outliers, yeah. Yeah. So if you were a little bit better than your counterpart in first grade, it's like, oh man, Kurt's better than Taylor at basketball. Let me focus on Kurt, right? And then you go into second grade and you, that gap widens, right? And then it's like, oh, Kurt gets more opportunities since so this gap just continues to widen. And by the time Kurt graduates high school, he's going to, the, to college on a basketball scholarship. But for Taylor, he got left behind, even though Kurt was probably only just a tiny bit better when they were growing up. And I think about that in our society from our access to resources and predominantly, I don't want to stereotype here, right? But I think about people that grew up like me in a, from a socioeconomic standpoint might be predominantly one racial demographic. And I think about oftentimes some other demographics that may not have had the same resources. And so it just perpetuates that cycle. The people that were born into or raised in a certain type of community, get continually get access to more of the resources, right? And so they can grow, they get access to probably great coaches like yourself. I don't know exactly the types of kids that you're dealing with or their backgrounds. So that gap just continues to grow and, and everybody within reason just kind of stays the same until I feel like you have this crossover effect of like, well, I could go out in my community that can coach, but they don't need me, right? They got parents out there, good coaches. I want to go to the community where maybe some of these kids don't have access to that. Maybe they're from a poor background and speaking candidly may not look like me, right? Because I feel like I have something to offer until somebody starts to make that crossover effect. I feel like those groups continue to stay the same. These, this group of people that has more opportunity continues to get more opportunity, right? And their kids grow up and they have access to great coaches and they're from a more, uh, a better off socioeconomic background and maybe kids from a poorer community, they want to get access to those good coaches, right? Because somebody didn't go into their community and like, which might be harder because maybe it's further away or whatever it might be. So I don't know if there's a question in there, man. It's just something that like, I'm super passionate about. I want to get back into coaching. I don't know, like that was more of just a ramble than a statement, but I know it's something that Tina and I are passionate about. 
And I was just curious, I guess, like if, if you see that the same way, if the kids that you're coaching, are they because they're playing AAU hoops? Do they already have a little bit more of that stuff up on some other kids? Well, I would say if you want to coach, we got plenty. Well, I don't want to say plenty, but we got a handful of upward leagues in the Columbia area that always need quality coaches. So, Well, I'm in Charlotte, so that <laughs> that's a bit of a trick. But. We don't have many. We got one in Lake Wiley, I think. Gotcha. That's not far away. But what I would say is I read a stat one time that in America, this was a, little, a couple years back, though, in America, a white child born into America has 70% of everything he or she needs to be successful in life. So seven out of 10 kids, white kids. If anybody gets offended, sorry, I say white and black, I don't. So that's interesting stat there. But I would say we've got, so this year we got about 40 teams. Wait, before you go into that, did you have the statistic from other racial groups? I thought you were going to give me No, one. no, I didn't. I didn't. I, I forget what it was. I just had that one. It wasn't 70. It wasn't 70, and it wasn't close. <laughs> I can't remember what it was, but it was actually just talking, comparing blacks and whites, and I can't remember. I'll try to find it in text, you guys. But we've got about 40 teams. I'm trying to think of there's a fee to play for our teams. I won't get into the cost, but – it's rare if we have a kid who can't pay. Now, there may be parents who feel like they shouldn't have to pay because they think their kid is good. That's a different story. But, but it's rare that we just have somebody who can't pay. Most people say they need a little bit more time or whatever. So I would say about 90, 85, 90% of our kids cover the fee. Some areas, because we're in different areas of the state, some areas charge a little bit more to compared to others. Some of that has to do with the area like socioeconomic differences. But for the most part, it's just like who's been established longer. They pay more, you know, and their costs may be more like they pay for a gym or they don't pay for a gym. So, and then from a racial background, probably about the same, probably like 80, 80% is black, black or black players, you know, from those 40 teams. And we just started uh, reignited our girls side so really, I'm speaking more so on the boys' side, not sure on the girls. But these kids are the outliers from a stand talent standpoint. But see, I'm a little different. I think we need to spend more time from a talent standpoint, maybe not at that young age, but like at this age, on the 20% instead of the 80%, the 20% who are what we would deem as exceptional, you know, or a little bit more talented. Because I taught, so I would have – 25 to 35 kids in a classroom and you got these five kids who doing the right thing sharp and you got these other kids who not well let's say you got 20 others that are like in the middle then you got like five or ten others who just don't care we neglect the five because oh they're good you know like they know what they're doing to focus on these and we're trying to save them why not push these best to be the best we don't have to neglect the other ones but we well, what we end up doing is we neglect the exceptional ones or what is average right now, so to speak. And so I started leaning more like, let's focus on like, again, it's treating everybody the same, but not coaching everybody the same. So like, if I know you got a chance to be an NBA player and that's what you want, I got to hold you to a different standard. Now everybody says they want to do that. Do you have the ability? Do you have the size? Do you have the work ethic? Do you have the character? So why should I spend extra time on somebody who does it 
have all of that stuff, but this one or two kids, oh yeah, they got it. Doesn't mean I'm not giving you what you need because I still can. So to answer your question or to help try to answer that, like there is a real thing where people are being priced out of playing just like a local rec basketball and definitely travel ball. I think our average cost for travel is, let's say $600. And then you still have to, on most teams, you have to get there and then you have to pay this. Like if we go out of town, you got to stay in a hotel. That's another 200 to $400 to stay. Then you got gas or if you rent. So like it gets pricey. And a lot of people playing these sports are playing to get scholarships. Now we got to look at how many kids actually get scholarships to play basketball. Not a lot. I don't have the stats. I don't, you know. But then you talk about going to the NBA, the percentage of the people who the NBA has, what, like 300 people in it? I just told you we have 40 teams. <laughs> How many kids do you think? Like, I've been doing this since 1999. We got one kid in the NBA, PJ Dozier. And even him, he's had he's got a journey and a great story to talk about, but he's been injured in and out, you know. And one other kid that may have played in a game or two or G League. And these are the outliers, right? These are supposed to be the best of the best. So the focus has to be on building up the person because the likelihood of you making it to the NBA isn't there, but we can help you be a better citizen. We can help you be a better man, a better brother, a better uncle, a better father, a better whatever it is you want to be. Like, let's look beyond that because you're probably not going to be a professional NBA basketball player at least because the numbers don't line up. So how can we help prepare you for when that happens, when you realize, oh, I'm not doing that, but what can I do? How can I be successful in life? So I'll segue into this. My greatest thing I think I could ever tell a kid is, you play basketball, that's what you do. That's not who you are. Like teen likes to rap. I think he's pretty good, but he's not a rapper. He's so much more than just a rapper, you know? Michael Jordan played basketball. I know he gave his life, devoted his life to it, but he's so much more than just, he played basketball. That's not who he is. So that's what we tell our kids all the time. You play basketball. Your identity is not in basketball. It's in, oh, one kid told me the other day he might want to do sports medicine or real estate. He likes to draw, you know, he likes music, play the piano. That's who you are. You play basketball, but it's not who you are. You don't define yourself by winning and losing. Because I said, I never know our record at the end of the season. Never know it. I can go back and calculate it. But if we win every game, guess what? In August, it's forgotten about. <laughs> After August, it's done. It's on to, that's what I tell the kids. You're thinking about high school. You forgot about AAU. So, like, why would you put your identity in, in that? So, I just think we do need to focus more on they quote unquote elite. And I don't want to leave anybody behind. I don't want to hurt a kid's feelings. I don't want to cut anybody, but that's part of life. That's part of growth. Kids need to hear no. Kids need demands placed on them. They need to be held accountable. They need to be praised when they do the right thing. You did well, good job. Congratulations, we love you. And then when they do wrong, but I like, guess what? Nope, you were wrong, you messed up. But guess what? We still love you, but you were wrong. And this is what you got to do to correct it and don't do it. So it's it's a lot of things that like this coaching thing is. <laughs> and honestly, people are like, oh, you love basketball. No, I do not. 
I did as a kid. I don't anymore. I like it, but I really enjoy like feeding into children and helping them achieve goals and getting them to grow. Like my biggest thing is like, I want them to have a foundation with God. I want them to have a foundation of who they are with family, faith, but I want them to think for themselves. I don't want to tell anybody what to do. I don't want them to think how I think. Now on the court, I want them to think how I think because I think I know best. But even then, I'm trying to empower them to critically think. Like, this is what we want to do. You have this option and this option, not go A to B to C to D to E. No, that's not, it's not regimented like that. Life is not like that. It's so it's so important what what you guys do, raising kids to become you know, contributing men and women, obviously the kids are always the future of our world at any point in time. That's, that's the way it's been since history started. If you're a kid, then you're, you know, they're, they're the future. And so it's so critical that we're, that we're doing what we can and focusing on them. And I think what your organization does is great. And it's a complicated conversation in my mind, because if let's say the Malcolm Gladwell example, if they come to you, we're almost saying the rich get richer. You're getting, you're getting kids that have typically a pretty good background and skill and the means to pay and all that. But that doesn't mean you're neglecting other kids. You're very critical for those kids because maybe you mentioned them earlier. So maybe P.J. Dozier never would have made it to the NBA or even to college to play for University of South Carolina had it not been for you and your organization. So that's super critical. And so I don't want somebody to listen to this and say, well, Kurt's only going after the kids that are here and above. And so what about all the other kids kind of circling back to what Taylor was asking, you know, how, how do we close the gap? It doesn't mean that your group's not doing it. You know, we obviously need people to focus on other groups of people that maybe aren't, aren't capable to play for upward sports. So just make it like a larger conversation than that. I, I don't know. It's very difficult, but I think a lot of times we try to get in this us versus them. Like, well, Kurt's doing that. So because he's focused on these kids, he's not doing anything with those kids. And we almost want to make it a fault of people. Like, like you said earlier, we're all out here doing the best we can. Like we all have our own shit going on in the meantime, personally, while we're pouring so much in and you specifically, when you're pouring so much into these kids, I just think it's complicated because there are a group of kids that probably don't have the means to play in upward. Right. And so um, how do we close that gap? How do we create the opportunity for them to do it without handing it to them and spoon feeding them? I don't know. There's just a lot of variables out there that kind of gets my mind going, you know, in combination with what I'm going to school for. It's just like this constant conversation of inequities and cultural differences and, you know, privilege and, you know, all, all these words that are so popular right now, and we all have an opinion on them, right? I mean, I've, I've used this term in class several times. I'm like, we have so many privilege police. I, I don't need, you know, this is such a hot topic. And as soon as somebody talks about it, it's like, nope, well, you need to do this, or you should look at it this way. Like, my gosh, everybody has a different definition or expectation, and we can only speak for ourselves, you know? I can only speak for Nick Collins. I don't speak for all white people. I don't speak for all white men. You're only Kurt Wheeler. You speak for Kurt Wheeler. You don't speak for all black men or, you know, whatever the case is. It's just, I know this is kind of a different road and maybe a little bit of a ramble, but to me, it's super important because I do want to make a difference, whether it's in kids' lives or whether it's in taking the same thoughts and processes that you're talking about that you do in your organization and taking them out into the world. And like, how do we all work together and move the needle? How do we move this thing 
in a positive direction. I don't tend to do all the doom and gloom that I think everybody else does because you said it earlier in this podcast, what can I take positive from this? And then let's grab that, bottle it up and like move it forward. I don't want to be ignorant and pretend like things aren't going on because I know there's real issues and inequities and, and I want to be a part of the solution, right? Um, that's been important to Taylor and I from the beginning of this, like we're two white guys. We're very aware of that. We understand that. I also understand we have a, a pretty long violent history as, as white guys. And sometimes I'm thrown in a group because of that. And sometimes I'm not, I think hopefully people that get to know me, know me for me. And I appreciate that, but I want to change that narrative. I, I, I want to do what I can. I want to show up, whether it be for kids, whether it be for underprivileged kids or, or how do I go out into the, you know, in a society in general? And like, how do we all just get together and move this thing forward? Both of you hit on something that's real. And I try to talk about it, but you make a good point. What I do from an upper star standpoint is a little different because it is like targeted for a specific type of athlete with specific type of goals. And then sometimes we find out, hey, no, this kid doesn't really want to do this, you know, or the parents don't understand the expectations at a level. But more so at the youth level, kids are being priced out. It used to just be like soccer was the privileged sport, so to speak. You use that term, privileged police. Then baseball could be, you know, you got to get cleats, you got to get pants, you got to get a glove, you might need a bat. Or you could just go out and play in the neighborhood, right? Basketball was the sport where you just go play. That's why soccer so we got so many great players across the world in soccer because you just go play soccer. You just need a ball, right? You can make a ball out of whatever <laughs> and you go play. But now in America – is business. Youth sports is a business. Let me have this club. You spend this money to train, to be better, you know, to play on this club team, this particular team. And what I've started to see, sometimes once the kids get to the end, they just want to play with their friends. It's not so much like, I need this type of team for this status or whatever. But at the youth ages, we do need to figure out, you guys familiar with the Aspen Institute? They do a lot of research on Youth sports, you should look at it. They'll get, they break down all the demographics of it. It's great. If I find it, I'll send it, I'll email it to you. I've read it over the years. I haven't read one in a while, but Michigan State does a, a lot of studies on it. And I mean, basically, long story short, poor kids are getting priced out of playing sports from rec to travel to club, whatever you want to call it, like all of it. They're getting, and it used, again, it used to just be like, oh, no, nobody's playing baseball except like, kids with money you know nobody's playing soccer except kids with money now it's becoming basketball like if you look at like let's look at lebron james kids are they underprivileged not at all and they're good players and they got all the training they need i'm sure so like the story of like rags to riches and basketball especially is changing like a lot of the nba players their kids are coming up and they're good players and they're getting recruited and they're going to the NBA. So like, where, where's, you know, it used to be a story. LeBron was, you know, he has a story. He grew up, you know, not in the best conditions and, you know, but God blessed him to be six, eight, two sixty, And he's done wonders with on the court, off the court, being a dad, all that stuff. I don't know him personally, but from what we get to see, he's, he does, he's done a great job, but not only him, we can name others, you know, that their kids are now playing. They didn't grow up poor. They have money. They got all the training they need. So, like, in most kids now, if you look at the stats, there's an article a few years, like, 
NBA player, kids who make it to the NBA, they go to private school. They got two parents at home. They're educated. So the narrative of like, we're going to take, like Isaiah Thomas had a story. He grew up in a project in Chicago. And then boom, now if you look at him as a player, he's a top 50 player. He's got different business ventures. He's got a champagne or a wine or something. Like he owned the CBA. Like he's done a whole lot of great things. He gives gives back to people. So like and he grew up in the projects. But like how many stories do we have like that anymore? Allen Iverson was one. Carmelo was one. LeBron was one. But like now their kids are playing. So like who's poor? Dwayne Wade's kid's a good player. And the Boozer twins are like, you know, just Gilbert Arena. We played Gilbert Arenas this kid the other day. He had a game winning shot against us. He's not growing up poor, you know, like so they have the resources, but I think it's more so not at the high level, it's at the youth level when they're back to Taylor's point about the outliers, when they're young and there's a little bit of difference. And then we focus on this kid compared to this kid and this kid takes off because he got the extra help and stuff. So I don't know the answer to how to fix it. We just need more people like you guys who want to fix it and upward sports who want to provide sports and, you know, you like even think about the rec at home team in North Dakota. They do a great job with rec sports, right? I don't even know what it costs, but it costs something. And I think they have a way to help people who can't pay and all that, you know. So I don't know. I just you got to think that you, you know your example with basketball. Kids are getting priced out of it by the time they get to your organization. That goes beyond sports. That goes beyond basketball, unfortunately. And I guess that's that's the group of people that that we're talking about, if they're getting priced out in sports, they're also getting left behind potentially in the classroom. And then beyond that, I, I don't know. I don't know the answers. I, I just know that, yeah, you're right. That sort of changed over the years. Everything's so expensive. And that doesn't mean we should just give stuff either. I don't think, um, but it, it's, it's just a difficult conversation. I just think it's an important conversation and certainly a difficult one. Yeah. Well, you talked about education there. I used to be against private school because again, my public school upbringing was pretty good. I enjoyed it. So I'm like, hey, who wouldn't want this? But now I'm like, oh, I can see why people may do private school. But most importantly, I can see why people do homeschool or want school of choice um, because you get to decide on how your kid is educated. And we can get into like factors that cause people not to be able to take advantage of school of choice or homeschool, obviously. If they got to work, how you got to do homeschool? You know, <laughs> so that's a whole different thing. But I think if we go back in history, some things have happened that have hurt certain demographic classes, socioeconomic classes, I should say, in demographics on school and education, I should say, not school, but education, politics, uh, down to youth sports. Like, do these areas get the funding for the local parks and rec. Like, again, our parks and rec, we got one, it's great. But if you go to the city of Columbia, where you live and help Valentin, you got the city and then you got the county. I don't know which one has the best, the better of the worlds, but I can tell you Hyde Park and some of those where you coach that and help that may not have the same thing as out near Blythewood, you know, or near Spring Valley area, you know, like it's just a difference. So like who decides that? How do they decide that? Like, how do we help? Uh, I think they do a thing called a youth games. The city of Columbia did before, where they take a team and go play somewhere. Like, and it's usually like the inner city kids. And so, and a lot of times those kids, the funding for the schools and their programs have been cut 
for whatever reasons, or they, and I don't know enough about those particular situations, but maybe there's a way to lobby and rally for some political support to get some funding for these specific areas. Because again, if we want kids to be better citizens, I think they need to play sports because you get so many life lessons. And a lot of people grew up playing sports. So I think maybe it's a way to get on that train and get some lobbyists and some politician to get, we need to do more on that front to get the funding for those kids. Cause I haven't heard a politician talk about that. And I follow politics pretty close, but you know, but I haven't heard anybody talk about that. They're talking about everything else that's not important, but the kids are what's important, you know, which, you know, I can, I don't want to mess y'all podcast up. <laughs> if you want to start to change some things that are happening in society that we don't like, like, why don't we all volunteer more? Why don't we all, you know, um, whatever, give money to causes that can like influence kids in these like formative years. Cause we all want to do something. We want satisfaction. I'll talk about me. Oh, I may give a pair of shoes to this kid cause he might play for us or he's the better player. And I want him to like that. That makes me feel good. But what about the 10th guy on the bench on the team? So how does that make me? Am I any better than anybody else? If that's how I'm thinking, I have thought like that before. And I was like, oh, I'm doing this because I get some type of satisfaction out of it. That's not how I want to be, you know? I should want to give everybody that same love or treatment, whatever you want to call it. So where I'm going with this is, what are they getting out of it? We all have been on good behavior to get a reward at the end of the week or a birthday gift or a Christmas gift. So where is their reward in it? They don't see the reward in it. They're not doing it. That's my take on it. But we've all, you know, faked a certain type of behavior to get whatever it is we wanted. As kids, we learned it as kids. Listen to babies cry. You can tell a fake cry from a real cry on a baby. They want to get what they want to get. So adults, I don't know if I want to volunteer for that because what am I going to get out of volunteering for that? You know, my, what was it? One of our favorite movies, Seen Hardball. Why did he coach the team? He had to coach the team. He didn't want to coach the team. Somebody else had to do it who didn't want to do it. And he was like, well, you're going to coach it because I can't remember why he did it. But then he got satisfaction out of it once he got to know those kids and all. But like he didn't say, oh, let me go do this. But he did it because somebody oh, he was going to give him the money for whatever he needed the money for. So that's the average person right there. Like they're only going to do something if they see a treat at the end. You know, I get this treat if I do this. No, for sure. I mean, I think we're all self-serving. And I think when you first hear that, it's like, oh, we're all self-serving. I don't want to admit that. It's like, well, of course we are. If you woke up every day and like you went in, you just said earlier that you, you like basketball now, you used to love it, you like it, but you like it as the vehicle to be able to teach these kids and mentor them and guide them. So like if you didn't get value out of that, you'd be, you'd be searching for a new career. We're all self-serving and we should all find the things that speak to us. You know, I think the challenge that the interesting thing, I think, particularly in our society is we have all the external resource, not everybody, right, but a, a lot of people in the U.S., have all the external resources that they want or they would ever need, right? From like shelter and food and a good job. 
but all, there's so many people who are like miserable and depressed. And so I think to me, what you just said is a push to, hey, if you want something to be different internally and you want to feel different, you need to focus on other people outside of yourself, right? You start to go and coach and give back. It's like, damn, that was actually the thing that spoke to my soul and made me feel like I had a purpose in life and not just chasing the next promotion at work that was empty and then said, well, you're a director now. Maybe it's when you get to be a VP that you'll feel good. It's like, actually, maybe you go volunteer at a food bank. Maybe you go you know, to a community that looks different than yours. Maybe you start coaching. To me, I, I agree 100% with what you said. I think the disconnect is people don't actually know what brings them happiness because oftentimes we get we just start going down a path and we don't want to we don't know what else is out there, right? It's like everybody told me to do these things and I'm doing them. I'm not happy. It's like do them harder, harder, do them better, keep climbing the corporate ladder. It's like actually you may need to try some things that are seemingly out of your comfort zone, and you might actually find that you'll find happiness and passion in things that you never thought you would, but. I do agree with you that people are self-serving. I just think that people oftentimes don't try new things because, yeah, they're just different and they don't know exactly what it can bring them. We all want to, most of us want to know, like, what's that carrot at the end? If I do A, B, C, and D, how's it going to make me feel and what am I going to get? And then we make the plunge. Sometimes you just got to try new things and, hey, if this doesn't work out and it doesn't make you feel good, drop it. Try something else. I think that in general, people have a lack of willingness to, to try new things that are their comfort zone so they never figure out that thing that actually brings them joy and brings them a passion. I don't want to cut us short. If either one of y'all have anything, we've been going for, I guess, an hour 20 or so like that. I want to be respectful of everybody's time. You, you know, I always have one thing, team, at the end that you guys both touched on it. Team, you were talking about how you, you mentioned it when you said, I don't speak for all white people or all Southerners or everybody from North Augusta. And Kurt, you had kind of mentioned it when you talked about, um, you know, basketball is what you do. It's not who you are. I think it goes back to like the crux of like why we started this podcast around like just this constant quest for personal growth. Cause like, I mean, even for you teen, like you've talked about like, well, we're both from the South and we're white guys. It's like, well, yeah, we have that in common. But I think back to this illustration that I thought was the, one of the best ones that I've seen of like diverse and that diversity and inclusion. And it was talking about like, it, it showed an iceberg, right? And the things at the top of the iceberg that you can actually see are like, all the physical characteristics. We might look the same or be the same skin color or we're both males or whatever it might be. But below the iceberg, the stuff that's underwater that you can't see, that's like, what are your values? What are your experiences? You know, what are you passionate about? I think that's the stuff that connects us as human beings more than the stuff above the iceberg. But oftentimes people want to put certain people into boxes and stereotype them on the tiny little piece that's above at the top of the iceberg that you can see. And so it's just something that I'm passionate about that you guys both mentioned that I think we should all be on that constant journey of trying new things and uh, figuring out who we are. And I think I've, it's kind of ironic. I've often found that like some people that look and uh, have these like physical characteristics that are very different than me. When I get to know them, I'm like, damn, I actually like really connect with that person. Um, but I think sometimes we, I feel like we live in a bit of a society that wants to just like put people in certain buckets and say, well, this group feels this way, this group feels that way. And often that time, those buckets are based on things that aren't below the water, they're above the water. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know. That, that's something that I've always been passionate about because my, somebody in my family says something, they don't speak for me. If I say something, you can hold me accountable, right? And even in that sense, we've talked about this too, teen. Maybe something I said 20 years ago, I've grown and developed and learned from it. And 
hopefully I'm a better person today than I was then. So hold me accountable for what I say and do, not because somebody else looks like me or is from my family or, you know, that sort of thing. But I think if we all did that and kind of pursued this path of growth, kind of like what you, you, you touched on at Kurt when you were talking about, you know, just like you're not a basketball coach trying to like help and shape and mentor them and give them like the values to be successful in life. I think if we could all kind of focus on more of these like non-visual characteristics and just that constant process of growth, I think we'd realize there's more things in common than sometimes we, we think there are. For sure. Kurt, thank you so much for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. Sharing some of your wisdom. I love hanging out and talking to you about stuff. I know we've had a bunch of good conversations over the years and, um, yeah, I mean, this one can go on for a long time for me because there's a lot of stuff I'm passionate about. There's a lot of things, unfortunately, we can't solve today. But I do always think that the conversations are important. I think having grace and understanding for people is super important. And, um, yeah, I think it, not not being too scared to touch on some, some difficult topics, I think, is really important. And, and hopefully we can use this as a springboard, Taylor, to keep – keep diving into some of those things that people are scared to talk about because those are the ones that I sort of want to talk about more. But Kurt, specifically to you, man, first of all, thank you for what you do for our kids out there. I think that is so, so important. Um, and, and I know they're in the right place when they're with you and your organization. Uh, I respect you and thank a whole lot of you, man. But is there anything else you want to touch on or cover before uh, we get out I of think here? I'll say, I'll say two, two things. Just if we ever put this out there, but for, for us, a reminder is winners make the most mistakes. Winners aren't perfect. They mess up, they try again. Look at like, uh, is it Richard Branson? Is that his name, Virgin? Like, look at, if you look at his story, man, what a life, right? He kept pushing the limit, pushing the limit. He's a winner. Now look at Elon Musk. Some people may not agree with other stuff, but if you look at how innovative he is and how he just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing, like winners make the most mistakes, you know? So, and then the other thing I would just say is like, there's an inner scoreboard versus an outer scoreboard. You got to choose which one you're going to play your game with. I hope it's the inner scoreboard because you're in competition with yourself, nobody else. You know, when you see other people doing well, that should motivate you. You should be happy for them. Not like, oh man, team's doing a podcast. I could do one better. No, like that's success is infectious. You know, like, oh, he's doing a successful one. Let me do one. Or how can I learn from him? You know? So again, not to get long winded on that inner versus outer scoreboard is the main thing. I would say lead with that. Love it, man. Beautiful words, yeah. Yep, I appreciate it. We're going to end with that, man. Love you, dog. I'll see you down the road somewhere. Yep. Till next time. Till next time.